Hey, so I'm so excited. I want to share with you about one of our new sponsors, Starglow Media. They have this amazing show for all of you with younger kids called Mysteries About True Histories. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers and on adventures through time packed with puzzles and hidden equations, histories, and laughs. You all know Alana, our co-founder at Sproutable. She listened to the show with her seven-year-old and loved it. They would pause the show and try to figure out the math problems together, loved learning about different cultures and the histories around the world. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and so much more. Math is geared Math is what they call it. Math is geared towards kids six and over, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. Episodes drop every Thursday, and they're about 15 minutes, perfect length for the car rides, mealtime, break time, bedtime. Each episode is stacked with so much laughter, and your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories math with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Joyful Courage Parenting Podcast, episode 75. Everybody, welcome back to the Joyful Courage Parenting Podcast. I'm so excited and delighted that you are here, that you've chosen to spend time listening to this show. It is an honor and a blessing to get to show up for you this way. I love it. And um, it's just a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. So welcome back. Welcome back. Today, I'm super excited for our guest, Marcelie Smith-Boyle. We are going to talk about uh, research, which you might be like, ugh. No, super exciting research that backs up all the things that we do in positive discipline parenting. So um, I'm really excited to get to the interview. But before then, I want to just kind of speak into something that's been showing up a lot um, for me. It's been showing up as part of the conversation that I had this morning in a group call that I did with the Live and Love with Joyful Courage membership participants. And that is um, just work around practice and being in a parenting practice. Many of you have heard me talk about having an intention, having a way of being that we're striving for when things get messy or challenging or triggering, having a way of being to be practicing so as to influence the situation in a way where people still feel connected um, and where there's skill development. And when we declare a way of being that we want to be practicing, it's really important, you know, to be practicing that way of being, not in the moment, right? Not when you need it the most, but really all the time, um, all the time. Because like for me, presence and possibility are my intentions right now. And um, I get caught up in fear, in the 
in the conversation around, well, how am I going to do that? Like, how's that going to happen? How can I possibly create that? And fear creeps in and I don't even realize that that's the moment, you know, that's a moment where I get to breathe in, you know, everything is possible. And I can be present and aware of the fear when it's creeping in and creating rigidity in my mindset, creating rigidity in my goal setting, creating rigidity in my day. I tend to find lots of ways to distract myself when rigidity shows up and it's not helpful. So I have to practice presence and possibility. I have to practice when I wake up in the morning, just breathing that in, knowing and playing and being curious about where is presence and possibility in my body? Where can I bring it alive, right? What do I need to do to open up to create space for that? And the more I can do that throughout the day, then the more often it is that I can become ever more aware of when fear is creeping in and and close-mindedness, right? And thinking that something is impossible. When that shows up, I get to move my body back to that place that I've found that opens up to possibility and I get to shift my mindset. The other thing that's coming up for me lately is trust, right? Trust. And I think that we talk on this podcast about the parenting process, but really um, <laughs> it's a human experience, right? It's human relationship that we're talking about. We're just having, having to talk about it with in the context of an adult and a child. But as many of you have spoken into in your feedback or on the Live in Love with Joyful Courage page, many of the tools that we're using and playing with and practicing with our children are also helpful with the other adults in our life and with ourselves and with ourselves, right? So trust shows up because the invitation when you're living a life of intention, when you're living a life of positive discipline in your relationships, when you're living that life, you really have to trust that relationship is powerful. That sometimes you have to trust that working on the relationship is the most powerful thing you can do to shift the dynamics, to shift the behavior. And and that requires trusting, right? Trusting the process of developing skills over time and knowing that in the future, your children will get ever better at leaning into those tools, right? We have to trust ourselves in those moments where we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. We've all been there. We have to trust that we're enough in those moments and that it's a really common situation. Like, can we all just nod our heads? Yes, I've had the experience of not knowing and trusting ourselves anyway, trusting that we are the perfect parent for our children, trusting that they are the perfect children and teachers for us. There's a reason cosmically that we've all come together. There's a reason why our children, our partners, our ex-partners, our friends, our colleagues, you know, the other people in the grocery store, there's a reason that our paths have crossed and we can trust that. And I think in trust also, there is a surrender, right? Surrendering to the idea that sometimes we're not gonna know and that's okay. Surrendering to the idea that we can have really big dreams and goals, right? Possibility and surrendering to the idea, the, the fact sometimes that we don't know how we're gonna get there and that that doesn't mean we're not gonna get there. So that's what's alive for me right now is this whole conversation around trust and surrender and it's showing up over and over and over again, which tells me that it's a place to explore 
And it also tells me that it's probably a, not only a place for me to explore, but for also um, the rest of everybody else, the community that I get to be a, a voice for and to. So I'm, I would love to know what trust and surrender means for you in this moment, in this time of your life. So feel free to share, right? Share in the Live in Love with Joyful Courage page or send me an email. I would love to hear about trust and surrender to you and how it's showing up. All right, blah, blah, blah. I've also been given feedback recently that I talk too much before getting to the interviews on the podcast. How do you all feel about that? I think I kind of need to do a poll. Am I, are you tired of this like monologue? I kind of think of myself, you know, like uh, David Letterman, right? The beginning of the show, there's always the monologue. So, you know, I too create a monologue. I want to connect with you. I want to connect around what's real and relevant and alive in me and in our community um, from the context of, of what I'm seeing. Uh, and I think it's a powerful way to start the show. But maybe I'm wrong. So if you want to let me know what you think about the opening of the podcast, I'd love to hear because um, this is for you, right? This is for you. So yeah, anyway, enough of me. I'm going to talk more at the end, check back in with you and remind you of all the ways that we can connect. But uh, let's move towards the interview. So like I said, Marcelie Smith-Boyle is on the podcast again. She's a returning guest. I think she was on she was maybe my sixth or seventh guest. So it's been a while since I've had her on. She's really excited to share um, about this topic. And she's, in my opinion, the perfect person to be sharing. And you'll hear the excitement in her voice as she talks about research and how it supports the work that we do in positive discipline. But I just really invite you to find a comfy place to sit or um, maybe a chore like dishes or laundry or something that you could be doing and um, or take a walk, right? Or take a drive and tune in and really listen to all of the goodness that Marcelie is about to share with us. I'm sure, 100% positive that it's going to be helpful to you. So let's meet Marcelie. Hi there, Marcelie. Welcome back to the Joyful Courage podcast. Hello, Casey. I am delighted to be here. I'm so glad that you said yes again. <laughs> yeah, it was an easy yes. Please remind the listeners about your journey of doing what you do. Okay, so um, I am, like you, a certified positive discipline trainer, and I'm also a certified life and leadership coach. So I teach positive discipline classes both online and live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I live in Oakland. And I also coach individuals and groups on topics like career transition and parenting, also life coaching and executive leadership coaching. And I've been doing this since 2012. Before that, I spent 16 years in corporate America. I got my MBA from Harvard, worked in management consulting for a while, and then spent 10 years managing and marketing brands with the Clorox company. I left Clorox in 2007 after my third baby was born. But when she was about two or three, I started to get the itch to go back to work. So I, I picked up the phone and started dialing Clorox to see what they might have for me, but I couldn't finish punching in the numbers. <laughs> so I hesitated, I hung up the phone, and I wasn't exactly sure what the hesitation was from, but 
I realized maybe I didn't want to go back. Uh, I didn't know why, because I had a great career there, loved Clorox. So instead, I enrolled in a class for moms in transition. Uh-huh. And it was basically kind of group coaching. Cool. Um, and for the first time in probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years, I gave myself the time to reflect not on my house, which I just did a major renovation, not on my children, not on my job or my husband, but on me. Imagine that. What a um, gift. What a I know, gift. right? So yeah. it, and it, I, I don't know. It, it was lucky, I think, that I got the opportunity and the impetus and the encouragement to do that, to take that time. But I did, and I, and I, and I reflected on my values, my sense of purpose, what brought me, um, what I was good at, what brought me fulfillment in life. And in that process, I realized that my values had changed. Mm. And that happens, I mean, I don't think that that uncommon, not all of them, but a few of them had changed. And I began searching for a career focused on people rather than products. Mm -hmm. And someone suggested life coaching. Um, I took my first class and I fell in love right away. It's so good. It's so juicy. I love the life coaching work. Oh, man. (laughs) So interestingly, about the same time, I got, um, just for fun, I got an opportunity to get certified in positive discipline. And um, there was a gap in my coaching training. So I said, all right, I got nothing to do. I'll go do that. And um, I thought, well, it'll help me personally, if not professionally. But then when I did the certification, um, I felt so deeply inspired. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, this is such good stuff. It had so much in common with my coaching training. Um, And I just felt so inspired that I decided, well, at least some of my coaching has got to be dedicated to helping parents and exposing people to the positive discipline philosophy. So here I am. Yay. Here you are. I love that. I didn't know that. I didn't realize, I didn't know how you, maybe you told me last time, but I love that. And, and my, my story, I got to positive discipline before I got to the life coaching. So when I went through my life coaching training, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I already am a life coach. I mean, exactly. this is the same as what we've been doing in the experiential piece and the embodiment yeah. piece. I just, I love that overlap. Awesome. The, the asking versus telling. Oh, yeah. Curious. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And and listeners, like you mentioned, um, you, you know, everybody knows that I'm a positive discipline trainer too. And it's fascinating to me. There, I think that there's so much great information out in the world, right? And there's this big umbrella. We were talking before I hit record. There is a, a pretty vast umbrella that a lot of writers and speakers fall onto or fall under called, you know, positive parenting or mm-hmm. peaceful parenting or gentle parenting mm-hmm. and or conscious parenting, right? There's yeah, so many same labels. idea. And so today in our conversation, I'm really excited because we're going to we're going to talk about the science behind positive discipline, like capital positive capital discipline. Right. So just so listeners are clear, positive discipline and we're going to talk more about the principles of positive discipline. It's actually a thing like mm-hmm. it's a program. It's a philosophy. It's really um, it has you know, it's distinct. Right. And, and right. that's what you and I, when we talk about being positive discipline trainers, we both have gone through the process of um, 
you know, of leveling up and really understanding and being able to deliver the information and the content to people. So I just wanted to make that clear for listeners too, because I think that, you know, I think that while I think that there's a lot of meandering in and out and not everybody realizes that this is an actual, like, you know, like I had, um, I've had hand in hand parenting mm-hmm. experts on and that, and that's a thing. That's a program to follow right. as well as is positive discipline. So yeah. Tell us about why, because you you told me, you said, I want to come on and I want to talk about the science and the research, which is yeah. so, and listening to you say that you got your MBA from Harvard, you're so smart. Oh, please. Of course you want to talk about the science and the research. You're like my brainiest <laughs> friend. <laughs> See, now I'm feeling pressure. Okay, now okay, okay. Shake pressure. it off. Shake okay. it off. <laughs> yeah. Let me take that off because, whew, I don't know. I if love you, that, you... but I love it because I am, I am so, I moved through the world emotionally Mm. so it's always such a gift to get to be in relationship with someone who moves through the world like not 100% but you know facts science research that's important right that's although I have to say like in my class of 90 people in my section at Harvard Mm -hmm. we once did a pro um, an activity where we all divided up into our Myers-Briggs profile yeah and I was one of three I think in my entire 90 group session section that was a feeler rather than a thinker. Oh, wow. (laughs) Were all the other people like, oh, yeah. They were big. sorry for you? you? (laughs) They were kind of like, what? (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Well, tell us us why this is so interesting to you. Why did you want to talk about it? Yeah, so um, I, I created a little class called the Science of Positive Discipline, and that sprung from my deep fascination with um, the, the mostly, not totally, but mostly the new neuroscientific research that's been exploding mm-hmm. about um, social psychology in general. So as, as I said before, I got certified in positive discipline around the same time I was doing specifically my, my leadership coaching training with the Neuro Leadership Institute, which is headed by David Rock. And, um, and I did that coaching training because um, I have more of a math math brain, you know, like mm-hmm. even though I'm an F, I'm, I, I'm logical, <laughs> linear. And um, when I took positive discipline and I, I took uh, um, positive discipline very early when I was, well, not that early, but when I was a younger parent um, because I was just really struggling with my daughter and, and I had a hard time really grasping the, the concepts and really being able to implement them. Mm-hmm. Um, it made sense to me, but it was so counter to everything that I had learned as a child about parenting, everything that I had witnessed as a parent from, um, um, uh, that other parents were doing. So it was, I, I really had a hard time making it part of my life. So when my um, neuroleadership coaching training seemed to back up so much of positive discipline with the neuroscientific research, I was absolutely like thrilled. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, my notes from that training, uh, over and over, I was I was making connections. Oh, this is this connects to the to the concept of mutual respect and positive discipline. Oh my gosh, this is all about belonging and significance and positive discipline. The connections were just wildly firing. It was so exciting mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, I, I just became that much more committed to um, spreading positive discipline in the world. Love it. That's so Is funny. It, I, I think I read, um, 
what was it? Daring, I think it was Daring Greatly by Brené Brown. I, I, I'm always making notes in the margins of books like, oh, this is this is this is called encouragement. Like this is all <laughs> about encouragement, or this is yes. all about this or that. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yes, love that. Love those little side notes and connecting, making those connection connections while we learn. And specifically, you know, when I think about the the parents that um, show up in our, because you are also an online facilitator, you do online mm-hmm. classes like I do, and people come for a variety of reasons. And I'm noticing that there's always there's always those parents who are so they so are so invested and so committed and yet it's such a it's a really big stretch because yeah. of like you said like their models or their experiences that it's so difficult for them to um to make that connection so i think what i heard you say is as you were learning the positive discipline concepts you were also connecting to something that brings you alive like that that really that really lands for you and so if you know I just want to invite listeners out there because I know it's you know we talk about reading books and reading blogs and and it's like oh yeah 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 and then putting it into practice is really challenging so I think that was a great gift to everybody that's listening like when you're reading when you're having conversations start to make those connections to why Mm -hmm. is this important to you why does this land for you what is the connection there and then those I was just reading about neurotransmitters yeah (laughs) (laughs) it'll fire up those neurotransmitters and make you know make the learning ever more solidified as you move on awesome so around the distinction of positive discipline right so um positive discipline the program will you you were going to share with us what are some of the guiding principles of positive discipline so listeners know Yeah, well, and I think many of your listeners do know what these are, but let me back up for just a second. Yeah, do it. Because I want to be clear about what I mean by the science of positive discipline. Yes, thank um, you. (laughs) Because, you know, that's that's a kind of a, could be a a term with many interpretations. So I'll tell you what I mean about it is I'm talking about science um, that, is not sponsored by the Positive Discipline Association. So it's completely separate Mm -hmm. and it's high quality research. I think of science as high quality research that turns theories into fact or at least makes them more factual. Mm -hmm. So all the research that I'll share today has solid methodology, has been peer reviewed um, and is published in respected publication. And none of it has anything to do with positive discipline. It just so happens that it it all backs it up. So it's and not I, just stuff that you're making up? <laughs> nope. <laughs> not making it up. I couldn't cool. even think this stuff up if I tried. And a lot of this uh, new, at least, I'm, I'm going to share not just neuroscientific research, but the neuroscientific research that I will share, it's been enabled by the relatively recent technology of functional magnetic resonance imagery, fMRI, and PET scans. Um, that That's where you can measure what's the activity in in the brain before the advent of that technology we had to wait for people to get brain injuries to be able to study what was going on in the brain so now is that like when we put them in the when you go in the tube and they connect with what's happening or is that like things on your head and they're reading things like i actually draw the picture what an fmri looks like but it is the same technology as a magnetic resonance imagery but it's applied to the brain i don't know what it looks like that's a good question never had it done personally okay so but but that advent of that technology has really exploded the um the the research that we're able to do on the brain 
and apply it cool. to um, human behavior and social psychology. So that advent has, has, has made all this research possible. Cool. Yeah, so that's what I mean by science. And then um, some of the principles of positive discipline. I just wanted to share that first so that then you could see how the science backs it up. And, yeah, and it, um, I know you know these very well. And probably a lot of your listeners um, are familiar with some of the key principles. And there are several, so I'll just highlight a few. Um, the first that really hit me hard was the Adlerian principle that at the root of most misbehavior, not all behavior, but a lot of misbehavior, the root of it is a child's striving for that sense of belonging and significance. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God. Spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well-being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Yes, I love that. Yeah, it's it's um, really shifted my perspective because I, I've heard you talk about the iceberg mm-hmm. metaphor too. I use it as well, thinking about you know the tip of the iceberg is what you can see. That's your child's behavior. It's what you can see, mm-hmm. but underneath the surface, 
so much more is going on. There are thoughts, feelings, beliefs, um, abilities, developmental stages, all those things underneath the surface are what's driving the behavior. And, um, you know, a lot of parenting guidance models focus on the tip of the iceberg. How do I mm-hmm. stop a behavior yeah. with incentives or disincentives, or how do I start ones I like? In positive discipline and Adlerian theory is more about looking underneath. How do I help change my child's beliefs or help bring give them skills so that they have the long-term ability to behave in a way that's, you know, contributing, respectful, helpful to other people. I love that principle. And you know what's been showing up lately is parents saying, applying it to themselves and like recognizing why do we get triggered by specific Mm. behaviors, especially Mm -hmm. as our kids move into adolescence. Um, It's incredible how our significance button, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like, wow, no wonder that, you know, the eye rolling sets Mm -hmm. me off like that, that, you know, I do matter. I matter. Right. We all matter here. And and all the the feedback I'm getting from you is I couldn't matter any less. (laughs) And it just happened to me at family meeting this weekend. My teenage daughter, um, I made a point about why I thought, you know, we should have some limits on texting. And she looked at me with this look of complete disdain (sighs) and said something that I don't even remember what she said, but it was a, a complete arrow to my feeling of being respected my, yeah. my significance boom right there and I was like oh it, I it just I've triggered all of my feelings of you know worthiness, worthiness. yeah totally. yeah and of course it made me want to fight back I sure. mean that's and and that's what we do to kids too when we inadvertently threaten their sense of significance mm-hmm. um often the that invites fighting back yeah or retreat or just yeah yeah or resentment so the resentment those r's but the that belonging and significance feeling that that really deeply human need basic need to feel loved connected included to Mm. feel um competent and capable and, and worthy um really basic human needs yeah so that's one of the major principles of Adlerian theory and positive discipline that I love. And by the way, when we say people, will they know what I mean by Adlerian theory? Because Well, some, I mean, we've talked about it on other shows, but not everyone has caught up quite yet on every single episode, although I know everyone's trying out there, right? <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you yeah. briefly, like Adlerian theory is, it's the, the foundation for positive discipline. Yeah, it's just, it's um, based on the theories uh, and the psychology and philosophy of Alfred Adler, who was a psychiatrist who lived around the turn of the century, and he's considered one of the big three in psychology along with Jung and Freud. So um, that's what I say, what what we mean when we say Adlerian theory. So belonging and significance, a big part of it, and the idea that when children feel when they perceive that they have a strong sense of belonging, strong sense of significance, many of those misbehaviors on the tip of the iceberg simply disappear. Mm-hmm. So that's one. Another um, principle is this: the principle of mutual respect. That's yes. a big one in, in positive discipline and, and Larian psychology, the idea that if we want children to treat us with respect, um, we need to model to them what that looks and feels like. Yeah. So um, even though they're children and parents, we definitely have more authority 
and they need us to be leaders in the family, but that doesn't mean that we can't treat them with respect. And, and by respect, I, I mean with a deep understanding and consideration for their thoughts and feelings, for their beliefs, for their abilities and developmental stage. Yeah. So I, when I talk about mutual respect, um, yes, and I also talk about it because I think that sometimes there's there's another way to think about it, right? It, which is if, you, you know, you respect me and I'll respect you. Like it's some mm-hmm. sort of exchange. Yeah. And so I also like to invite the idea that I'm going to respect myself mm. and I'm going to respect you. Yeah. What, whatever you whatever happens for you is yours mm-hmm. um, but I'm going to treat this situation I'm going to treat myself with respect so that firmness boundary setting piece and I'm going to treat you with respect because even when the person in front of us is at our at their worst like something's going on right yeah everybody there's something underneath that tip of the yeah, iceberg that's going yeah, on. yeah yeah love it cool yeah um I like to think of it too yes and we're going to do some We're yes so and life coaching. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> or, Love it. Or we've both done improv. Um, <laughs> the idea that um, mutual respect is really about how every party, parent, child, coworkers, leaders, subordinates, whatever, every person has an equal right to dignity, yes. to keeping their dignity. Absolutely. So that's what it's about for me as well. Love it. And then um, a third principle, and of course there are many more, but the third principle that I'll touch on today is is the principle of focusing on solutions rather than on punishment or rewards. This is is also um, so empowering, Mm -hmm. um, this, this paradigm to focus on solutions because it's about helping children look forward, um, teach long-term life skills so that next time they can do better. So it's not just about solving the problem right now. It's about equipping them so that they can solve problems long into the future. And um, it's really contrasted with the idea of punishments and rewards because punishments and rewards are about extrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. How do I get my child to do this or not do that? And solutions are more about how do I help my child want to do the right thing, even when no one is watching, forcing, or bribing. Right. That quote's from Jody McVitie. Love that lady. Love her, lead lead positive discipline trainer. And and I think, you know, and when I ask this question in my classes, I say, you know, how many of you parents out there would like by the time your child is an adult for them to be able to make good decisions all by themselves without needing an incentive or um, a fear, a threat. You know, everybody raises their hand. We all want that. We all want our children to be able to to do those things all by them, to make good choices all by themselves. And that's what I love about positive discipline too. It's about helping children, you know, create or develop or feed, nourish that internal compass to do the right thing that intrinsically mode that intrinsic motivation yeah and I think too it's it's about it's about parenting 
to the adults that we want. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really that's really clear because I know that one of the frustrations that people have is things don't happen quick enough, mm, right? Yeah. It's not magic. We would get to make a lot more money if it was a magic <laughs> wand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not. It's it's messy, and you know we're not robots, which my listeners have heard me say many times. We're actual yep. humans dealing with actual humans, and it mm-hmm. it does it, it it requires us to be reflective it requires us to do our work as the adults to sift through all the garbage and not garbage but layers some of, of it's garbage some a lot of it's garbage i'm just gonna say it yeah. like we're making assumptions all the time and um you know it's it's it is to me it is the most powerful opportunity parenting is to grow into the best version of myself oh yeah and that is I- with that is with the understanding that i'm not there <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm not yeah. there. I'm um, I'm still learning. I yeah. mean, like definitely, I learned so much about myself by watching how I react and respond and deal with my children. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's tell us humbling, about humbling, humbling. so those are the, some of the principles. There's lots more. Read right. the book, everyone. It's fabulous. Um, <laughs> or take a class from Marcelie or myself. Yes. <laughs> so there's those are some of the some big distinctions that we make um, big principles in positive discipline. So how what are you finding in the research? Um, what's the research telling us the science behind mm-hmm. these principles? How is it supporting positive discipline? Okay, so there's so much, um, and I'm I had to be really selective today because I know we don't have time to cover every little thing. So I've just selected a few, a handful, and just know that there's a lot more. Mm-hmm. But the first piece of research that I, um, when I learned, it was just like so mind boggling and fascinating to me was research that is published in a book called Social by Matthew Lieberman. So Social, and I, I have to say like, I can't wholeheartedly recommend the book because the second half of it is super technical and dense and hard to get through. The first half is fascinating. But the research that the book is based on um, is fascinating. That's what I want to tell you about. And his basic premise of the book um, is that our brains are made for connecting, Mm -hmm. not just thinking. Our nature is fundamentally social. And of course, that's very in line with Adler's philosophy and positive discipline as well and he both he and Alfred Asler Adler thought that maybe Maslow was wrong in his hierarchy of needs so I don't know if people have seen that triangle the Maslow hierarchy of needs the the very fundamental building block on his hierarchy is you know physiological needs you've got to get your physiological needs met like food and water and shelter before you can even think about something higher level like love or belonging but um Lieberman and 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 also Adler as it turns out thought that maybe Maslow was wrong and the reason they think so is because babies they need their parents to love them and be connected to them and care for them in order to get food or shelter like the the, mm. the connection comes first without yeah. that they can't survive so they did some research to um to there's several pieces of research and the one that i'll call out for you is is research that was originally published in the association for psychological science in 2012 called broken hearts and broken bones linking 
the um, physical pain to social pain. Mm. And he, I, and I really think the research itself is fascinating. So I'm going to describe that. Is, is that okay? Okay. Yeah, you can do okay, it. Okay. So I'm enrolled. Done, <laughs> all right. You're in. So I've done this in classes too. And what we did in the classes, which mimics the research that was done, is you get people in groups of three, and you tell two of the people, two of the people are Confederates. They know the secret of the research. So you pull them aside and you tell them to throw a ball um, back and forth and throw it back and forth to the third person. But then after a while, stop throwing it to the third person. Exclude that third person and just keep throwing it back and forth to yourself. And then the third person, you don't tell them anything. Okay, so they're the test subject, that third person, and the first two are the confederates. They're in on the secret. So you do that, and this is what the research did, is they had people throwing it, like in waiting rooms, dentist's office, or doctor's office, and um, they'd start throwing to the third person. They're happy, they're giggling, you know, throwing back and forth. And then for no reason, they stopped throwing to the third person. Um, and then we debrief with the people. And of course, if you're that third person, how you feeling? Left out, disconnected, oh. kind of mm-hmm. mad yeah. or sad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're feeling a little bit of social rejection. And um, even though you don't, you may not even know these other people, so that, that's the research that they, they did so that the third person experiences social rejection. They experience a little bit of social pain. And they replicated this on computer screen in a, in a game called Cyberball, where they have cartoon people, two people, the Confederates, um, mm-hmm. throwing the ball back and forth. And then the test subject enters the computer game, and that test subject has the fMRI hooked up to them so that their mm-hmm. brain activity is being measured. And the same thing happens. And then what happens when, um, after a while, after they've been excluded from the ball play, they could see what part of the brain is getting activity. Mm-hmm. And it turns out in their research that this, the place in the brain that registers that social rejection, that social pain, is the very same place in the brain that lights up when people get little electric shocks or physical pain. Hmm. Same place in the brain that lights up for Crazy. both physical pain and social pain. Right. So to the brain. So we need to quit saying like, quit crying. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Or go to your room. Right. Go to your room. You know, exclusion, rejection. Right. Um, or, um, Time out. You're, yeah. Oh, wow. you're, I, I can't believe you'd be such a terrible kid to your sister. What's wrong with you? Go to your room. Right. Um, that that kind of uh, social pain feels the same as physical pain. So it can have people moving into fight or flight or self-defense in the same way that it would have them moving into those things when they feel a threat to their physical safety. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. I can't wait to do that activity with people. Yeah, I'm gonna really- get a hold of you and get the notes. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's, it's funny too that we now have research that that shows us to that to the brain those two kinds of pain are the same so yeah. no wonder when you send your child to their room or you um you uh belittle them make them feel very small you know yeah. you you threaten their sense of significance you threaten their sense of social connection that they will do whatever they can think of to fight back to get that sense back mm-hmm. which might be to you know back talk Mm-hmm. to um, get revenge, to be sneaky, um, mm-hmm. or all of those 
lovely things that we see as parents that we wish we didn't. Yeah, that are so fun. Yeah. And so what's <laughs> even more fascinating, I think, so, is um, in this research that they did, they, they did a second stage um, where they reran the cyberball experiment with one group of people taking Tylenol for three weeks before they did the test. What? That's yeah, random. Because, because their hypothesis was that if the brain experiences social and physical the same, would something like Tylenol cure that pain in the oh. same? And and guess what? It did. It did. So, so they didn't really care because they were all high on Tylenol. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't hurt as much. That right. the activity in that part of the brain was was much more suppressed. Wow, that's yeah. fascinating. Cool. I think so. Too. So it, it, you know, that whole um, saying, one of my favorite mantras in positive discipline is, "Kids do better when they feel better." Part of the reason they do better when they feel better is they don't feel like they need to move into fight or flight. Yeah. They feel like they, they can more likely be open and receptive and open to your influence. That's so interesting. And, and it's so funny how things show up, like, not just in one place of your life, but in multiple places. I'm currently reading a book um, about, written for teachers around creating a um, culturally responsive classroom. Yeah. And with the added addition of brain science. Um, and I was just reading about the same thing, that kids in the classroom before they can learn, they need to feel connected. Mm. And there was all this a similar kind of brain study, um, brain research that was talked about in the book that that came back to the same result, which is the kids need to feel connected because yeah. that is going to help them to access their prefrontal cortex and their higher order thinking skills. Exactly. Yeah. When you're in that fight or flight stage, you don't have access to the part yeah. of the brain that allows you to have empathy, um, creativity, problem-solving skills, all of those things that can be really helpful if you want to learn. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. So what about one of the other principles? Give us some more. This is really cool. Okay. So one of the others that um, I thought was fascinating is uh, the research from a, a man named Edward D.C., and that's spelled D as in dog, E-C-I. Edward D.C. is a professor of psychology at the University of Rochester, PhD in psychology, and he has probably um, written more research and done more research studies on intrinsic motivation than anybody else on the planet. So he's highly respected in his field. He gets cited over and over in behavioral science and um, social psychology. And he knows probably more than anybody else does on the topic of intrinsic motivation. And remind the listeners of what that intrinsic motivation means. Well, what it really means, it's it's intrinsic motivation is defined as something that is inherently interesting or enjoyable. Um, but broadly, what I think of it in terms of positive discipline is um, having the desire to do something as opposed to being made mm -hmm. to do something. Okay. So you want to do it. Um, and, and what DC said about motivation is that motivation is not something you do to a person. It comes from within. Okay. It concerns the energy to move. And what all, most of his research, um, well, a lot of his research 
is um, done around the idea of what happens when people are extrinsically motivated, like made to do something mm-hmm. or co- or tempted to do something versus when they do something on their own volition. They have autonomy over it. And what he found in all of his research over and over again is that intrinsic motivation, so wanting to do the right thing by yourself, is much more likely to happen when three basic psychological needs have been met. These three needs are innate, so they're not learned. They're just natural, very basic to humans. And if they're satisfied, will allow optimal function and growth. And those three things are, so see if these ring any bells. The first is relatedness. Relatedness is the universal want to interact, be connected to, and experience caring for others. Hmm. Does that sound like any other term you know in Adlerian psychology? Belonging. Exactly. So... That's the first one. The second is competence. This this seeking to control the outcome of something and experience mastery. Mm-hmm. And the third is autonomy. And, and that's just the desire to have some control over your life. And, um, and it doesn't mean being independent of others, but it means having some sense of control. Mm-hmm. I that like the word I like the word influence. I've been mm-hmm. playing with the word influence and recognizing that we have so much more influence around our current, and I talk about this with my kids all the time too, around our current situation yeah. than we realize. Because mm-hmm. then we have to be accountable for when we're influencing the situation that maybe isn't <laughs> what we wanted, right? Right. And, and parents also um, recognizing that we do have a lot of influence and when we allow our child to share that influence, mm-hmm. because they feel some autonomy, they, the intrinsic motivation goes way up. Yeah, nice. And we've all seen that, right? We've all seen that. But so competence and autonomy, feeling competent and capable and feeling like um, you have some sense of control, that to me, that sounds to me a lot like that second um, part of the Adlerian equation, the significance. Does it to you? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I matter. Yeah, I matter, I'm capable, I'm worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and what uh, Edward D.C. is saying is when, when these three basic psychological needs are met, so when children feel, they perceive that their belonging significance bucket is full, their intrinsic motivation is now allowed, has the space and room to bubble up and act. And what his summary, D.C. summary of 800 studies of um, this contrasting autonomous motivation, so allowing people to have some sense of control and competence and relatedness versus uh, extrinsic motivation. When they have more of that autonomous motivation, the outcomes are greater persistence, greater flexibility, greater creativity, greater adjustment of well-being, greater enjoyment and interest, of course, maybe not surprising, but also better physical health. Wow. And then as we know, they also get more cooperation, mm-hmm. more, in, you know, more um, fun relationship times and um, just more um, engagement and follow through. And it's more fun to be a parent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it takes the pressure off a little yeah. bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and I, and that, I, that's something that I love. I think you mentioned earlier the asking versus telling a curiosity questions is a positive discipline tool that we talk about a lot and 
I love that tool because it's like you don't have to do everything. Like you don't right. have to be doing everything. Please share the control with your child. Let them develop that autonomy. And now what I'm hearing you say is that it's good for their brain. It's what their brain deeply desires. Right. And when we feed that basic need, there um, we, we get better outcomes, both for right. us and for them and the community as a whole. And we've all seen this probably – um, you probably have a million stories. I know yeah. you do because I've read your stories and I hear <laughs> your stories and I do too of, of when you finally get the aha that, oh, I don't need to solve all of my child's behavior problems or problems. I can invite them to participate yeah. in finding the solution that often the solution is way better. And yeah. of course, the intrinsic motivation, the desire to follow through is greater. So I have a little story, a little, Great. it's not story about that one an example yeah, definitely. it's not of me but it's of um one of the moms who has just went through my online parenting class she said she had a three-year-old and they were at family nature camp uh, which was a place that had a lot of red soil on the ground mm -hmm. and the three-year-old one of the things he loved to do is take big handfuls of the red dirt throw it up in the air and get like an explosion of red dirt and it was so cool <laughs> and he was enthralled by it but the result was he got caked with red dirt all in his hair. It gets all stuck in his hair. And when he got back to the um, to the the little cabins, his mom said, well, you know, you're in dirt, so you need to take a shower. Well, he hated mm -hmm. showers, and he would scream and complain. And the second day, it happened again, screaming, complaining. And then the third day, the mom gets an aha, and she said, you know, this doesn't seem to be working it's really fun to throw the dirt up and I, I think that's great and it gets all over your sheets and the cabin which is not great so um, that's why I want you to shower you hate showering what else could we do she said he's only three by the way okay mm -hmm. so what could we do no one told us the truth about parenthood why this is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell?, laughing in the face of motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. And this little three-year-old said, well, mom, why don't you put my head over the sink and just wash my hair that way? Because that way the water won't sting my eyes. Okay. So she's like, great. She does it. And she said he was so, quote, blissed out (laughs) that his mother would take his suggestion. He, He sat under the sink blissfully and joyfully and saying like, mommy, I love you so much. You know? (laughs) So you could see how giving him some autonomy, helping him solve the problem, um, fed that intrinsic motivation. Well, okay. So I love that story. And I love, I love that story. And there, it's so funny how often, like that mom could have very well gone into that conversation hoping that he would say, I'm not going to throw the dirt anymore, right? (laughs) Or I'm not going to scream when we get in the shower. Right. And that's, you know, and I think that's a really fun place to check ourselves as parents when we ask these questions and invite in their solutions is to notice when we're going in with an answer that we want to hear and how and doing the work of just releasing that and being really open to the ideas and suggestions that your children have. And sometimes, I mean, and trusting the process, mm-hmm. trusting that in the end, because it came from them, um, that it's going to be helpful. It's yeah. It's going to be helpful. That's cool. And letting go of needing to have a perfect solution yes. because one that's like 60% good, but your child buys in, yeah. means that you've opened up space for them to um, be motivated by themselves to follow through. And how exciting when that just becomes the normal way of being in relationship with your kids. I mean, this child is three. Imagine when he's six and 12 and 16 and it becomes, you know, different kinds of conversations and he's included in the, in the, in the thought process. I think that it develops, I'm sure the research shows, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it does too, but I don't have that piece. That's okay. We'll just trust it. Um, that it, you know, it's developing that part of the brain where, you know, because they become teenagers and they kind of lose a little. They they prune. They do some right. pruning in the brain, yeah. and and ple- the pleasure place becomes a little bit more well developed than the is this a good idea place. Those are the technical terms for those parts of the brain, by the way. <laughs> yes. And so anything we can do to keep that is this a good idea part of the brain in mm-hmm. growth process, Active, I think, right. is really because if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. We want yeah. them to use it, not lose it. Right. Awesome. Well, what yeah. else do you got? Do you have anything, like you mentioned solutions as a mm-hmm. principal. Do you have any, did you have any research that you were going to share around that? Well, the, the example I shared is really oh, about well, Yeah, like, yeah, it totally is. Know, Sorry. Getting involved. So the, the last bit, if, do we have time for one more little bit? We have time for one more little bit. Yes. Okay. Bring it. So this, this last piece, I mean, and there's, there's other stuff too, um, uh, the Harvard Grant study, you should check that out. People, if you haven't already, um, uh, Carol Dweck's work oh, on growth yes. mindset, fascinating research. There's a lot of good stuff. But this last one that I, I wanted to share um, is from Daniel Pink. 
He is an author and lecturer on economic transformation in the workplace. Wow. But he wrote, and he, he wrote a business book called Drive. The subtitle oh, is yeah. this. You've heard of this. I've the surprising this. truth about what motivates us, and but it has major implications for parenting as well. And in this book, he cites some research from Mark Lepper and David Green. It was done a long time ago, 1978, um, and it was captured in a, a volume, a research volume called The Hidden Costs of Rewards. And um, this piece of research, what they did is they divided preschoolers into three groups, but all everybody in all three groups was the same mix of ages, temperaments, and all of them loved to draw. And the experiment was designed to see whether a reward or a promise of one would motivate the desire to produce more artwork. Okay. So three groups, group A, these little preschoolers, when they get to school, they're told that they'll get a reward every time they create a drawing. And they were shown this certificate complete with a blue ribbon in their child's name. So mm -hmm. you go draw, you're gonna get this beautiful certificate. Um, group B is told nothing at all. And they just, they watch whether they draw or not. Not promised a reward, not shown anything after. Then group C, this group of preschoolers is told nothing in advance but if they do create some artwork, they get that same certificate that the first group was promised. So group A, they're promised a reward. Group B, they're told nothing. Group C, they're told nothing, but they get a reward if they draw. Two weeks later, back in the classroom, teachers placed markers and paper and other art supplies um, out on a table during the student's free period, and they just tracked which students engaged in the artwork. So which group do you think produced the least amount of artwork? The ones who were initially told they would get an award. Okay, so you're right. Okay. You're right. Now, most people would predict that, you know, that they would produce the most artwork because they were <laughs> promised this beautiful little certificate. Right, but I'm but highly they, intelligent. So. Well, you're also... I saw that one coming. Stuff. You read that book. <laughs> <laughs> and it actually, they did. They produced the least amount of, of artwork. So the crazy. other two groups produced the exact same amount of artwork. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so the ones that got a reward after, they did not produce any more than the group who got nothing hmm. after. So, so the interesting, the, the conclusion that the researchers came to was that it, it wasn't necessarily the rewards that dampened the children's enthusiasm for art. It was the contingent reward. It was the if you do this, then you get that. The if then rewards, that's called a contingent reward. That kind of reward requires people to give up some of their autonomy. Yeah. And, and they lost some of the mo motivation to produce artwork. Um, so contingent rewards are a form of control. And because autonomy, that sense of significance, of having control over my destiny is such a major driver of intrinsic motivation, that rewards often backfire. Right. And would you put praise in the same category as rewards? Praise being like lots of attaboy, good job, well done, like that empty kind of... You know, yeah, it, yeah, it could be. But the, the contingent reward would be like, you know, if you get an A, then I'm going to take you out to ice cream. Yeah. But to tell them in advance, like the if then is, is the part of the equation that Got can it. really eat away at that 
intrinsic motivation. So fascinating. And, mm-hmm. and what I really hope people are hearing is the connection with the parenting, but also even bigger than that, like they, we all have developing brains. Right. We all have developing brains. So listeners, as you're hearing this, yes, make those connections between in your relationship with your kids, but also make those connections even within the relationship you have with yourself, because this is really powerful stuff and it's research. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's science. (laughs) And, And that book, I have to say, Drive, that book is very readable. Oh, cool. I haven't read it, but I think I have Oh, it's so good. So many examples of how rewards and punishments backfire um, and make the assumption, you know, when you reward your child to do something you want them to do, you're kind of making the assumption that, well, you don't have it in you to do that on your Mm -hmm. own. So you kind of need this extra something to get you over the hump. So it kind of sends a message, too, about trust and belief in their capability uh, and, and that can, can backfire. Yeah. And I think that this comes back to what always comes up on the podcast, which is, re- you know, the power of relationship, the power yeah. of being in really good relationship. And I think that the good news is there are so many, or at least in my world, and maybe it's just because I've cultivated it so well, but <laughs> I think that there's so many people, more and more people are gravitating toward this style of parenting because it feels good to be Mm -hmm. in relationship with our children. And so just in closing, as you know, listeners are hearing you, they're listening to you, what would you say, what would be a baby step that you would offer a parent who's interested in growing their positive discipline practice? Um, So a baby step, um, there's one baby step that would be something that, a way to learn or deepen your knowledge and commitment. And and I really think, taking a class. I mean, I know this sounds self-serving, but personally, like reading books is helpful, but I got so much more out of the experience of taking a good class. And you could take it, there's so, positive discipline curriculum is so rich. Mm -hmm. So to to find someone in your area um, and, and take a class and redirecting children's behavior, I think is another Adlerian program that is excellent, also experiential. Those um, hand in hand is really great too. I think there's, mm-hmm. but getting that experience would be a baby step. Maybe they, maybe that's not such a baby step. So well, that's I a think that step. yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that it also speaks into the power of learning with a community of people. Mm, yeah, um, I think that that is so 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 helpful. And you know, right. yes, feeling yes. like okay, I'm not the only one whose child is driving me crazy. Right. I I like to say, oh, I don't live in my own private freak show. Right. Hallelujah. <laughs> So exactly. I don't oh, there's know. one more baby step though. Okay, there really what? is a baby step. That, what? Um, and this baby step is, is is a tool from Positive Discipline called Eye to Eye. You know this one? Mm, yeah. I know you know this one. Um, and that is to simply, and this is a challenge I'll give every listener out there. The challenge is for every interaction that you have with your child over the next 48 hours, get eye to eye. And by that I mean rather than you know yell across the room or from across the playground or the park move to where your child is get their eye contact or attention maybe with some gentle touch and make your respectful request from that place love that and that's a baby step it's super easy to implement and i'm always really um pleasantly amazed at what positive results people get just from that tiny little change right 
Love that. Thank you for sharing that. So I don't know if I asked this last question that I have for you. The last time, I don't know if I was doing this when you, you were, were in, I wasn't because you were one yeah. of my early, early guests. Yeah. Number Everyone, nine. number nine. Thank you for that. <laughs> Everyone go back to episode number nine and listen to our other conversation because that was a great conversation too. Yeah, that was. Um, what does joyful courage mean to you, Marcelie? Yes. Um, and I've heard you ask this to everyone and it makes me curious about what it means to you. So maybe you can answer Ooh. that. So maybe, have, have you already? No, I don't. Nobody's ever turned it back on me like that. Well, you <laughs> named your company this. It must have some, you know, some meaning for you. I'll tell you what it means for me. And then you can, then you can share if you feel like yeah. you want to. Oh, thank you. For me. Um, so courage alone like just courage 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 is about being brave you know mm. about feeling some fear but doing it anyway and 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 I think that takes like determination and focus and courage has a has a feeling of a little bit of feeling of of seriousness like oh I gotta get that but when you add the joyful to it it adds some fun mm. it adds some lightness so joyful courage is like being courageous in a fun way it's, it's a choice about how you want to I guess practice your bravery yeah oh I like that so that like for me what's the first are you, are you well, gonna, are you yeah sure? well I mean you know it's funny because I feel like it's it changes it evolves it's like you know we were talking before um I hit record about you know if you're in the work of continuously learning about yourself then you continuously are arriving at this place of like oh okay mm. I get it until you're at the other place of oh wait actually there's more <laughs> yes <laughs> so I think right now today what joyful courage means to me is you know and in the context of parenting like I mentioned earlier I think that parenting is an opportunity for adults to really recognize that life is a continuous growth process and that the people that come into our lives, you know, I mean, there's people that come into our lives and we get to decide, you know, do you stay? Do you go? You know, mm -hmm. and then there's our children. Right. <laughs> and they come into our lives and they don't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And regardless of how they show up, you know, it's it takes to me when I think about courage, I think about vulnerability. Mm -hmm. um, and I think about being open and trusting. Those are the kind of ways of being that show up for me, I think, around courage. Well, they do. Mm -hmm. um, and all of that, oh, man, like everybody gets kind of uncomfortable when you talk about like vulnerability and trusting. And, and, and I think that, like you said, really similar, the joyful part is like being light in that mm -hmm. learning, mm -hmm. being open to it, saying yes, even when you don't know the how to get there, saying yes. Mm -hmm. My own personal coach is going to love to hear me say that. <laughs> saying yes without knowing the how and holding it in lightness and possibility. Today, yeah. that is what joyful courage means to me. Thank you so awesome. much for asking. <laughs> and I love how I, I really appreciate your acknowledgement that, that it, it changes. Yeah. And as we grow, um, maybe 10 podcasts from now, you'll define it differently. Maybe I will. We'll see if anyone asks. I okay. like that. So Marcelie, where can people find you and follow your work? And I know you have an offer coming up. So please share about that as well. Okay. Well, thank you for um, asking. I do have... 
um, two invitations that I want to extend to everybody who's listening today. And you can find my work on workingparenting.com, workingparenting.com, or facebook.com slash Coach Marcelie. And my name is spelled really weirdly, M-A-R-C-I-L-I-E. So that's where you can find me and and some um, of my work. And I have two invitations. Like I said, first is a free teleclass. It's called, it's coming up February um, 8th. And it is called Six Obstacles to Peaceful Positive Parenting and How to Get Around Them. And I will share because I've been coaching now since 2012. And so I'll share some patterns that I've seen in my people and also in myself. What are the six most common things that trip us up and some tips to get around them? Mm-hmm. So that again is happening Wednesday, February 8th from 12 to 1 Pacific time. It's just an hour. And we'll make sure there's links, listeners, to a link to that in the show notes. So if you're thinking, yes, yes, you can get the link in the show notes for today. Okay, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then the second is a bigger offer for people who are ready to go way more, much more deeply and get the full positive discipline curriculum. I'm offering an eight-week interactive online class Um, over video conference. We'll meet weekly. It's called Peaceful Parents Cooperative Kids. And each week we'll dive into more of the tools and perspectives that will help you as a parent feel more joy and ease in this process of parenting and also help you raise respectful, kind, resilient, and resourceful children. Um, So lots of good stuff in there. And um, the the great thing about an eight-week series too is you get that community support like you mentioned you also get lots of practice. So I will give people a weekly practice, like just like I gave you all today the challenge to get eye to eye with your children for every interaction. Um, every week in this class, we'll have something to practice so that by the end of it, some of those parenting behaviors feel more natural and habitual. So that series is starting March 1st, and it's gonna be from 11 to 12.30 Pacific time, again, in a virtual classroom. We'll be live and in person, well not, I mean, you're- <laughs> Your face is going to be on the screen along with everybody else, and I can. I've got a whiteboard, and it feels like a classroom. Awesome. And then, and those classes will be recorded for replay. Great. Yay! Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Marcelle. You shared so much interesting, helpful forwarding information. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for the invitation, Casey. It's always a pleasure, and I just would like to thank you and acknowledge you for doing this podcast and and getting this awesome information out into so many people's hands in the world. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. There you go. Marcelie Smith-Boyle. Isn't she great? She's so smart. I'm so glad that she took the time to come on the show and share what gets her excited. And I'm so, so honored that you have taken the time to listen in. And I really hope that you're taking away some valuable information And, um, yeah, so there you go. There you go. Another week of the Joyful Courage podcast. Again, there will be links in the show notes around how to get in on Marsley's offer. There will also be links to where you can find Joyful Courage in the social media world. I have a business page on Facebook simply called Joyful Courage. I'm on Instagram at joyful underscore courage. 
I also run a closed Facebook group called Live and Love with Joyful Courage that you are welcome to join. It's a really positive, safe, supportive community of people who are um, saying yes to the journey of being their best selves as often as they can. Super exciting. And, you know, if you're interested in any of the offers that I provide um, or to see what else you can get from me, head on over to joyfulcourage.com. That's my website. And you'll see I have a few e-courses there. And there's a uh, sign-up for the Living Joyful Courage membership program, which registration will open up again the end of March. That is turning into a incredible offer. Oh my gosh, so, so fun. So yeah, there's lots of ways, lots of ways to keep up with the learning. So find me, follow me, and um, put your voice into the community so that you can help be a part of impacting at least 1 million children in 2017 because I have made that declaration for all of us. Uh, What else do I want to tell you? Big love. Have a great, great week. Live into your intended way of being right? Live into your intended way of being. Live it, love it, and don't beat yourself up when you don't show up as your best because it's just an opportunity to get to practice awareness and making amends and making things right. Um, Big love to all of you on the parenting journey, on the life journey. Know that you can always reach out to me with questions and feedback. My email is casey at joyfulcourage.com. All right, friends, have a beautiful, beautiful day, and I'll see you again next week. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.